Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. Today we're heading back to Norway to look at their experience in leading the charge with electric vehicles. Now, while we expect the majority of charging to take place at home or work, public charging, of course, plays a critical role. And today I'm talking with the CEO of one of Norway's largest public charging networks, a company called Mare. Um, And we'll be exploring what uh, they've learned about public charging networks as EVs have powered ahead in Norway and their plans for the future. And I'll be joined as well by my colleague and EV expert, Abhishek Sampat. So let's say, say hello to my guests. First, Ole Henrik Kanestau, CEO at Mare Norway and Mare Sweden. Hello, Ole. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining. Um, Ole, our listeners in Norway and Sweden will likely have heard of Mare and know a bit about the company, but beyond that, probably not. So can you give us an ele- elevator pitch for Mare? Sure. So we've been in the charging business since 2009 when we started out in Norway. Um, as the EV market in Norway grew, we developed a commercial model and we've been a commercial fast charging player, I'd say, since 2013-14, where we've built fast chargers for profit. Okay. Uh, we think we've figured that out. So on the basis of what we've learned from Norway, we've expanded into Sweden and we've also acquired companies in Germany and the UK. So we actually have a subsidiary currently called Grand Contact in, yep. uh, in the UK, which is our legacy name. You will get no extra points for guessing what the future name of that company in the UK will be. <laughs> uh, so essentially, we're trying to leverage the learnings that we have from our home markets in the larger European markets that are coming online, to put it that way, with EV growth over the next years, under the umbrella of our owner, Stadkraft, which is Europe's largest producer of renewable energy. Okay, and to give us an idea of scale, number of charging stations in Norway and Sweden or in all the countries you're in? That's always a fun metric because there are so many ways to count these things. So yeah. what we want is the ca- simultaneous capacity. So essentially how many yeah. cars can be charged at once, right? Okay. So we're currently operating about 30% of the Norwegian fast charging network, which equates to roughly 680 fast chargers. And again, these are simultaneous cars. And in addition yeah. to that, we operate, let me put it this way, some thousand uh, slow charging or 22 kilowatt points. Yeah. Um, okay. To put that into another metric, which makes more sense, every month, depending on which month, we're clearing between 100,000 and 150,000 paid fast charging transactions. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so you've achieved quite a scale already. Then uh, in Norway, you're lucky. There's or you've grown up in a that market where EV adoption has has led the world. Um, hmm. But you've got a great opportunity now, I see, to take those learnings and apply that to other countries. Um, let's get into that those learnings uh, in a bit more detail in a sec. Uh, say hello to our second guest. Hello, Abhishek. Good morning, John. Good morning, Ole. Um, Abhishek, when you look across Europe, uh, public charging networks are, are growing everywhere. Are they growing pretty much in the same way every year? everywhere or are you seeing some really stark differences between different countries 
Um, there's, there's similar approaches with regards to putting in public charging infrastructure because the next wave of adopters of EVs uh, will be more reliant on public infrastructure, whether that's in transit or you know, uh, off-street parking, sorry, on-street parking. Uh, yeah. On off-street parking, customers are you know, almost being captured now. Uh, there's a few different approaches. There's obviously what Mer is doing. There's also approaches like Ionity, um, GridServe, BP, Shell, doing other things with hubs. Mm. Um, and um, we've also then got some of the OEMs doing their own thing. So Tesla is the biggest proponent of having its own charging network, uh, which it's done yeah. successfully and uh, produced a very good USB for their uh, car customers. Um, but we're also seeing people like Rivian starting to do that in the US uh, and Volkswagen do it in the US. So will they bring it here as well or will they put it under Ionity? It's a good question. It's still an open market, I think, in terms of um, what to go after customers just want a way to charge frankly yeah okay but a lot of different types of companies the correct the automotive industry uh the shells bps and then the the new companies like mer i guess um yeah and all doing it for well it's a question some doing it more for profit some maybe doing it for synergies with their core business ole if we come on to that question uh about profit your whole business is charging networks so you're not making profits in any other part of your business or you're owned by stadcraft which is maybe does but let's just look at mayor mm. how, how what have you learned about profitability you, you mentioned earlier that you're now making a profit but it's a very capital intensive business utilization rates can be low when there's not so many evs on the road mm. tell us a bit about your your journey with uh, driving towards profitability well, let's stick to fast charging for a bit, or public fast charging, because that's essentially, I think, the main for this podcast. There are a number of ways to be profitable from charging, in general. Yeah. But for this, yep. for this, uh, for the purpose of this one, let's take it to public fast charging. So, first of all, you need customers. Uh, that's a bit hard if there are no EVs, right? So we have a data advantage because we've had a volume of paying customers over the last year, so we can see what they're doing and how they behave. And that gives us a lead when it comes to taking positions in emerging markets. And it's kind of fun to be able to talk about UK and Germany as emerging markets, but in this respect, it sort of is. Uh, yeah. We are strong believers in the future EV growth in these markets. And we think that if we use and deploy the data that we have from Norway correctly, we should be able to take better positions than others in the current phase of the game. Okay, so, so once, well, yeah, you're not going to give away those those secrets that you've learned from uh, your Norwegian experience, but can you can you illustrate that with uh, or help our listeners understand the sort of thing? It's not that secret, to be honest. That's not rocket science. <laughs> but first of all, get data. You need customers, and once you have those customers, you can start to see what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at our inbox, every suggestion we have from customer is typically, "I live in A," or to put it into UK perspectives, "I live in London. I want to go to." The middle of nowhere in Wales, and I want you to build chargers on the way there so I can get there. Yeah, and the good news is that in the UK you have a much more dense population than we have, but in Norway this means that we, if we were to cover Norway geographically, which we do, we will have a lot of chargers in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, no one has ever asked us to build chargers, fast chargers, at the shopping mall next to where you live, but that's where you get the use, right? So there is a thought that you need a bunch of chargers in between A and B, which you do for certain scenarios, but yeah. 
most people need charging where they are every day. So the trick is really to be where you are. You're not supposed to stop to charge. You're supposed to charge while you do something else, while you shop, while you eat, while you let your kids play, whatever. And if you identify those locations and you start there, you're much better off than if you start trying to look at the map and then deploy okay. chargers where people think they need them. Because That's your utilization rates, you get a high utilization rate, more people are using your chargers, you get a return on that investment. Exactly, because we don't make money on three hours on Friday afternoon. We yeah. need even use throughout the week. That said, we also need to make sure that people can get to where they're supposed to go on Friday afternoon. Uh -huh. So we have two different segments of the network. We have one which you okay. can call one shop, which is every day, and the other is just on the go, which is what you utilize to handle the sort of movement of people from A to B. Yeah. And they have fairly different characteristics, those two. Uh, but we make most of our money where people live, not in between A and B. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that may be counterintuitive for people thinking about fast charging and those motorway service stations or those long journeys. They need them. They're, I guess to get the adoption of EVs, people need the confidence that they can do that. But exactly. from a profitability point of view, that's that's a tougher part of the market. It's tough when you have huge traffic variations because it's difficult to yeah. scale something that handles the traffic peak while at the same time not over-investing in something which sits idle for most of the week. Yeah. So the metric yeah. you're looking for when you're building a fast charging network is some sort of usage metric, so average revenue per, per unit kind of thought, and yeah. it's given that you can't get that just from peak usage. So that's one trick. So did that trick, did, you, did it take some years to learn that trick or did you see that from the very beginning? Now that's fairly, that's the obvious trick, right? Everyone will arrive at that conclusion fairly quickly. Um, yeah. What's a bit counterintuitive is that a lot of the, um, when you ask people what they need, a lot of them will not really know the answer to it. So they will answer what they would need to emulate how they're driving their petrol car. Sure. Uh, case in point, 350 kilowatt charging. Why do you need that? It's because you think you need to fill up in five minutes. Mm. But the difference is that when you charge your car, you plug, in, you plug something in which you don't have to hold, and then you go to the bathroom and eat something, and that takes 15 to 20 minutes. So then the case for 350 kilowatt charging quickly becomes, how much am I willing to pay to save five minutes? Yeah. And yeah. from the cost side, you clearly see that the cost per kilometer goes up fairly sharply once you pass the 150 kilowatt threshold. So we're currently not building 350 because we don't really see a need for it. Do you think you do you think that would change if, if other people start to build it? Or do you think other people will build 350 kilowatts and then the expectations will be that that's what you get, so you will need to? Well, I did say that Germany and the UK are currently immature markets or emerging mm -hmm. markets. And in the phase you're currently in, uh, this is a lot about creating a footprint and some sort of visible showman. You're supposed to show off something. And it yeah. looks good to have a bunch of 350 kilowatt chargers in your lot. We're in the second phase, right? So we've figured out, yeah. we think, that yes, of course you want a bunch of chargers, but the real trick is to get the user experience correct. 
And that's not only about the books. It's about how you work with your location partner. So this ties into the place you're actually at. It's about how yeah. it ties into the app. It's about how it ties into the car. It's about how yeah. you enable 5,000 people every month come through our network for the first time. So they've never charged their car. And they're in front of a charger with something they don't know, their new electric car. And they're supposed to use that with a charger, which they don't know, with an app yeah. or something. And yeah. these people are not tech savvy first mover advantage. Guys, they're my grandmother. Yeah. So yeah. they don't know what a kilowatt is. They don't care what a kilowatt is. They just want this to work. Well, Abhishek, you, you told me once you had over 50 charging apps on your phone? 52 different apps on my phone just to get around the UK, um, which gets, gets tiring. Uh, yeah. Quickly. Um, that, and that's an amazing number, 5,000 new people using your network every month. Um, mm. what, what have you learned about that, Ole? What, what have you been, over the years, you must have learned tons about what they find easy, what they find hard, what goes wrong? Um, so this system, the chargers and the cars, are designed by engineers and to a large extent for engineers. Uh, it's supposed to work on a standard, it doesn't. Uh, as an example, if you want to charge a BMW i3, for some reason you have to close the front door. I don't know why. <laughs> if you want to charge a Golf of the first uh, model years, you will have to, after you plug the plug into the charger, you have a 15 second window during which you have to start the charge. If you fail to do that, you will have to physically unplug before anything can happen. There are a million things like this, and the sum of it right. is that when you're in front of the charger for the first time, even if you're tech savvy, this is going to be a struggle. And we have cameras on the charger, yep. on the charging station, so we can see what people are doing. And the classic is male, 45, standing in front of this thing with two cables, like just looking at <laughs> the abyss, sort of. Uh, so user experience and ease of use is really important. The first time you do this, it needs to work quickly. Over time, you can start building loyalty and understanding, but that first time, it's just supposed to work. Let's just consider something very basic. You've bought an Audi. You're coming with your Audi e-tron to some sort of service station with chargers. And you drive in, and there's a bunch of boxes. Over there is Tesla. The plug will physically fit in your car, but nothing will happen if you plug in. Yeah. Next to that, you will have, let's say, Ubitricity or something, right? And they will have several boxes. They will have a 50 kilowatt charger and a 150 kilowatt chargers. And these things are priced differently. So you're left, you, you're, even before you've parked, you have to make a choice between three different places. Should I go to Tesla? Should I go to that small charger? Should I go to that large charger? And making that decision means you need to know what sort of car you're driving, what sort of station you're looking at, what sort of price is at that station, and no average customer will do that. So part of the trick here is to eliminate all that complexity and just try to make it as simple as that is humanly possible to make this. And that's a so how can you how can you do that? Because there's there are some things within your control. There are some things like that BMW i3 front door that aren't within your control. So give us an example of how how you make it simple and straightforward for the customer. So first of all, we have to make sure it doesn't matter what charger you park at, yeah. right? Park whatever car at whatever box. That's point number one. 
to make that work, you need, first of all, a cost side of things, which means it doesn't really matter what box we put up. To put it bluntly, we need to make sure that we have a cost side, which means that if we get an e-golf at 150 kilowatt charger, that's fine. Because this part of the don't care about the box strategy is yep. uh, the price has to be the same, regardless of which box you park in front of, right? And yep. that means the price has to follow what you're actually getting in terms of charging, not mm -hmm. what box you're in front of. So that's one thing. Secondly, we're in a queuing scenario, right? This is high use, and it needs to be high use because that's how you make money. But in a high use scenario, you are in a completely different state than what you're currently at in the UK, where you have people using these things as parking spaces, more or less. That means you need to provide people with an incentive to move the car. And the best way to do that is to have a time element in your price. So essentially, we're charging people for parking and electricity. It means you pay per minute and per kilowatt hour. And once you've got that right, yeah. Do, pe do people follow that? Have, has that been easy for your customers to grasp and understand? Are they happy with that? Are there bits of that they don't like? No, it's not easy. The price models on this market are very immature. So when you ask customers, they usually prefer a strict kilowatt hour price because that's you pay for what you get. parallel yeah. to liters, essentially. It's a quantity of energy and it's predictable yeah. and it's easy, right? Yeah. Our approach yeah. is to say, yes, we agree. So here is your kilowatt hour price, but you're also occupying a parking space and you need to pay for that because if you occupy that for 40 minutes or 20 minutes, that's a difference. And that's mm -hmm. not anything different than what you're used to from a parking lot in the first place, but it's different from what you're used to at a petrol pump because you're not really occupying a parking space. You're there for five minutes and you immediately move your car. Mm. Uh, so that time yeah. element is absolutely critical from our side. Customers prefer kilowatt hour models until they realize that in that world, people won't move their cars. And they that won't, they'll have to wait and they won't get their sky. No rush. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Ole, do you think there's a, um, there's method then to Tesla's current approach, which is once your car stops charging, you get pinged and you've got, I think 10 minutes or 20 minutes to move it. Um, there's absolutely some merit to that, but I mentioned earlier that we also want to tie this in with the retail experience, because the whole point is you're supposed Correct. to be there to do something, right? And let's say that yep. you're parked your car, you're charging, and then suddenly your phone says beep, move your car within five minutes or be penalized. That's not yep. great if you're in a shopping mall or if you just sat down Correct. to eat. Correct. And I can relate to this because I have a Tesla, and mm -hmm. they're usually outside of, well, you get quite fat if you drive an EV because they're always inside of burger joints. Uh, so you're, you're <laughs> your burger and it's nice and hot and then all of a sudden yeah. you get this thing from your car saying leave your burger go out and move the car yeah um i don't like that so it's one of the models that we've considered it sort of does the same thing from an incentive perspective Correct. but it's a stress element because you need to watch what you're doing so we think it's easier yeah. and more predictable to just say look you should move your car when you're ready in the meantime we're going to charge you per minute Okay. Yeah. But that's a good discussion to have, essentially. What's best? Um, well, we've talked a bit about that experience and the, you know, those 5,000 uh, new customers you're getting every month. What about loyalty and how, because there'll be more choice over time. Well, some of that choice will be dictated by location. 
there'll be an element of choice. How do you, what, what's your thoughts on how to keep customers loyal to your network? That goes hand in hand with sort of long-term winning strategy, right? So what do we do? What is our business? We take our money and we dig that money into the ground at someone else's property. And we have a lease for a certain period of years during which we can recuperate that money from the grounds through charging fees. Mm -hmm. At some point, we're going to have to renegotiate our contracts. So we're going to have to renegotiate with everyone in our entire network over a span of, let's say, 15 to 20 years. When we do that, what are we then? Are we a commodity? Do we operate some sort of box in competition with other that can operate the same box for some price? Or have we managed to somehow integrate into the retail experience of our location partner so that we're something more? And that last bit is also where you get the loyalty. Because if this is supposed to work, the charger outside of your shop or your burger joint or your shopping mall or whatever needs to add value to your core business, right? Okay. And we think joint loyalty is the key. So we have a partner strategy where we partner up with a few key partners rather than spreading thinly out we want to create recognizable concepts with our partners. And that also means we can think with a network uh, hat on. Because it means that if okay. you approach, let's say, let's say Burger King, they have a bunch of restaurants. Some of them are good, some are less good. If we can access all of them, we can sort of cross-subsidize within that network and saying, okay, if you let us into that really good restaurant, we can build a couple of less good ones and we can create a concept of Burger King where, for instance, you can have your burger delivered to your car while you're charging, which we're currently doing. Can you can you measure that that loyalty or that that synergistic benefit for yourself and for Burger King in this example? Because I would imagine the more you can measure it, or the the more evidence there is, then the more of a, a partner strategy you have. Obviously, and that's what everyone wants, right? So the the best metric we have there is we we work with a retailer in Norway called Coop. They have about 30% of the Norwegian uh, groceries markets. So it's a fairly large uh, chain. They have a loyalty program, which is extremely well established in Norway. So there are 5 million Norwegians. 1.4 million Norwegians are paying members of this program. It means they pay 20 quid wow. to be allowed into it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what we do then is we offer a discount to members of that loyalty program in our entire network if they opt in right so they do an opt-in where they get that eight to eight percent discount but that allows us to share data and that means that we can track data from the charging network meaning that we know where you are and when you're there and essentially in real time we know from the retail side what your usual preferences are we know what you need to buy through that loyalty program which means that we can tailor offerings to you outside of that store saying, hey, welcome to this co-op store. You probably should buy some diapers because it's been like a week. So here's a coupon for diapers. Please come into the store and use that coupon to get a discount for diapers. So once you have a partner strategy and once you can do this retail connection, we think that's one of the bits that builds loyalty with the customer and adds value for both us and the partner and also builds that long-term loyalty we need in order to become something more than just an operator of a box. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's interesting. It's it sounds like very much a retailer mindset that you've developed. It has to be. And a lot of our competitors think they're infrastructure companies. Mm. And if you think you're an infrastructure company, you're going to behave like one. 
Yeah. We don't think we are. Of course, there's a big CapEx element, there's a big infrastructure element, but we really think the retail experience is the key here. And yeah. that's interesting when you go to, get to the UK. Because the UK market is, excuse my French, weird. Uh, for some <laughs> reason, there's a bunch of intermediaries in between the, the properties owners, or essentially the retailers, and us. So we wouldn't, I mean, it's hard to actually get in touch with the retail side of things because you're stuck dealing with some sort of broker in, in between and it turns into a land lease game. It's a land grab game yeah. and it favors the players with the biggest pockets, not necessarily mm -hmm. the players who can build the best retail experience with whoever else is on, on that land. So yeah, this is an open yeah. If you're called some large UK chain and you would like us to look at retail experiences and integration with you, please give us a call. Um, okay, well, there may be some listening to the episode, we, you, you, uh, we can see. Um, I want to ask a question about open and closed networks. So, Abhishek, you alluded to these 52 apps, and I guess one of the reasons you had to have these 52 apps is there wasn't a single app you could use to charge your car everywhere. Correct. I mean, there was one network, Ola, at that point, where I could at least access a few, but there were so many individual charge points mm. for which you needed your own membership and an app or an RFID card or something, uh, which is a bit silly. Uh, what we are seeing is that at least across Europe, um, the networks are more open, roaming is a bit more common. Uh, it's coming to the UK slowly, but not yet mm. there. Uh, there's still a bit of a fight over, you know, who owns the customer. Um, whereas I think the customers would much rather be able to access anything as they do today for, as an example, fuel. Uh, you don't necessarily need a Shell loyalty card to fill up your card shell, um, but you have one because that's where you go most often. And I can see a similar approach yeah. for EV charging as well. Um, so I'm, I'm, so, I'm, so go ahead. Um, so Ole, how, how does that, how has it worked in Norway so far, your home market? So first of all, it's a very understandable and recognizable uh, use case, right? As a user, what you want is just, first of all, no one wants to charge. And if you have to charge, you just want it to be simple. And there is no yeah. doubt about it. Tesla has the best experience. You arrive at a charger, you plug your car in, you leave. That's it. So that's our aspiration. That's what we aim for. In reality, you're stuck with 52 apps and a bunch of different use cases, and it's hopeless. On the other side, we as a network, especially with our retail uh, thinking, we need to we need to have access to the customer because we also do things like volume discounts. The more you charge, the cheaper it gets. We can't do that yeah. if we don't know you, right? So to build loyalty, we need to know you. So what we're thinking is that A, we need to have the best drop-in solution that there is. So essentially, don't register. Don't You don't need an app. You should be able to pay with some sort of mobile payment app or whatever, Apple Pay, right? Mm -hmm. B, once you've done that, we want to tell you, hey, thanks for charging. Did you know it's cheaper to charge if you register? Click here. And we yeah. want to try to convert you into some sort of funnel. But we absolutely do not want you to, we don't want to do that by making it difficult for you to charge. But we'd rather okay. focus on with drop-in solutions than on some sort of roaming nightmare, which involves the clearing platform and 52 players and the government. We don't think yeah. that's going forward. Oh, so your view then is you can turn up, you can pay with Apple Pay or your credit card, 
but there'll be a strong incentive to become a member of your network because that will be a better cheaper. experience for the customer if they do that exactly. cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Abhishek, do you see the market going in that way in other countries or that, that sort of model elsewhere? Um, uh, the roaming platform is quite popular across Europe. Um, not not so much, I mean, definitely in Germany and France uh, where it is possible. There's quite a few players there. Um, I'm, I can fully understand the effectively try before you sign up approach that always just mentioned because that makes a lot of sense uh, to me. Uh, whereas it's a faff if you're trying to get on a charger to do all of the registration. But once you're there, you might be like, oh, okay, this worked quite well uh, and it's cheaper. It makes sense. Uh, I don't see a lot of people doing that just yet. There's still a, a want to get you to sign up before you get to the charger or before you use the charger, which I'm not such a big fan of. Uh, in which yeah. case, I'd rather have pay as you go. Um, and have that flexibility. Yeah, we would agree to that. Um, we're nearly at the time where we bring out the Talking New Energy crystal wall. Uh, Ola, I've just got a quick question on your your owner, Stadcraft. Uh, so Stadcraft acquired the, the company a number of years ago. Um, obviously, there's a big strategic play you can see there between a company like Stadcraft, Europe's biggest generator of renewable electricity, and a charging network. Uh, can you see the at the moment are you running as a standalone business can you see uh, opportunities for synergies between those two businesses in the future so the best way to kill us right now would be to integrate us into the line of a utility uh, and Stuttgart <laughs> is fully aware of that which is why they're letting us run as a separate company and that yeah. is also important because we are supposed to be a standalone profitable business and what yep. we do, as, I, as we've talked about, is essentially retail as much as infrastructure. And Startup is really good at the infrastructure game. They yep. really understand the concept of assets and cash flows, but they have yep. no concept of a customer. They're not, a, yep. they're not in the B2C market whatsoever. Yeah. If you come, if you come into this from the power side of things, um, charging is much more than fast charging, which has been the topic of this podcast. It's also smart charging and everything related to that. When you are the largest renewable producer of energy in Europe, um, Stadtkraft already operates something called a virtual power plant in Germany, right? Yeah. Which the key word here being flexibility. You can yeah. trade on the power markets in new and exciting ways once you can leverage the combination of assets such as hydropower dams, which have a lot of flexibility, combined with non-flexible assets such as windmills and PV. If you add demand side flexibility to that game, you get one more lever you can pull when you're yeah. creating optimization strategies for this entire system. And the thinking is that we, with the hydro that hydropower system that Stuttgart currently operates, can absorb a lot of non-flexible assets into that. And we can also be extremely well positioned to be a leading smart charging player because we can add the flexibility on that side as well. That's not necessarily tying into public charging because the last place we want to do smart charging is when you're fast charging. Yeah. You'd yeah. be fairly annoyed if you had your burger, you came out and you realized that for some reason in the power markets, your car was now only half charged because that's yeah. not what it was. You could play around at the edges with frequency response and that second response, but not much more than that, I guess. Uh, we're, for fast charging, we're selling time essentially. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we're not really seeing, there's always some edge case with some battery or something, but that's not really 
we don't think that's to be honest key but we do think yep. that over time fast charging is going to be relatively less important as you get bigger batteries uh home charging or let's call it charge while you're parked is going to be increasingly important and whoever is able to leverage the flexibility of that parked car park is going to have an advantage and if you can combine that with production assets and a trading strategy we think there is a long-term winning aspiration and the strategy in there somewhere okay thanks Ole. very um very clear um okay let's bring up the the talking new energy crystal ball now and this week uh we'll set the data to 2030. Ole, you gave us a elevator pitch for mayor as it is today can you give us one for 2030 um where you'd like to be in 2030 and mm. highlight maybe the biggest one yeah the biggest challenge that your company will face in getting to that 2030 vision so i've been in this game since 2009 and if there's one thing i've learned is that any forecasts more than two years in the future of this stuff is more or less worthless yeah however there are some things currently that uh makes it easier one the oems are now actually committing to this and they have a longer term perspective so we know much more about the, the fleet that we're going to serve over the next yeah. years so yeah. if i had to say something about 2030 now the headline would be how do you manage to transition to energy as a service how do you go from a system which is sort of kilowatt hour based where you pay for the amount of power into a system where energy is a service and you're paying for different things than just kilowatt hours and you can also provide different things to this grid um that can be elaborated i'm not sure that's that would require probably a new podcast so let's not do that <laughs> but, uh, that's the headline yeah okay it's, uh, so okay. Maybe to elaborate on that very briefly, rather than buying kilowatt hours, and you can see why people are used to buying petrol and diesel in the way they are today, so they naturally focus on, okay, I need to buy energy. Could you have a different model where uh, you're buying kilometers or miles, or you're buying your, your monthly charging, something like that? I don't think this needs to be, it can't be limited to charging. So when you buy an EV, you're going to have something which you charge at home mostly mm. and you're already exposed to spot prices and power and already the first step is to start to try to match electricity charging or charging to spot pricing right a bunch of players are offering this and this yeah. is not terribly difficult but it's still fairly novel to a legacy business which has not been really innovative right so you will get players such yeah. as energy or others in other markets leveraging on the fact that you can now make this digital the next step is to realize that, okay, in the grid, which is a monopoly, there is a socioeconomic benefit of reducing the peak. But yeah. There is only one peak per year that dimensions the entire thing. So the benefit is only there if you're able to get that down. However, if you do that, there is a lot of money to be distributed to other measures instead of enforcing the grid. So if you can somehow tap into that money pool and distribute it into flexible flexibility and pay people to be flexible rather than to overinvest in the grid. There's a second area there, which will behave very differently in different markets, depending on the regulator and all sorts of other characteristics, but it's still there. Combining these two means you can go to the customer and say, hey, look, today you're paying for kilowatt hours. How about we just give you a fixed price for energy? 
So you tell us a couple of things about your house, how far you drive, etc. But in return, we need to play around a little bit with a couple of your things, right? For instance, we need to decide when you charge your car. Don't worry, it will still be ready the next morning. We might want to decide when you heat your water. We might want to decide a couple of other things. But in general, we should be able to offer you a better and cheaper service than what you're paying today. Okay. And that's quite a change for a company like Mayo in terms of what you've built up. Uh, so you might, you'll be doing other things as well, but I guess that's uh, the benefit you'll get of being owned by a, a power company. Uh, if you can bring those... Just, uh, we could call ourselves something charging. We didn't do that. Yep. Honestly, yep. we don't know what we're going to do in the future. We know what yep. we're doing today. We want to be the best charging company by being the most user-centric charging company. Hmm. But over time, we think charging is the entrance, the gateway into other services. Yep. And we don't want to limit ourselves to just be charging. And then we'll see where we end up. Yeah. And yours is a long time. Yeah. Okay. Well, as you say, a lot happens in, in 10 years. So, um, yeah. Abhishek, from your uh, last question, uh, biggest challenge you see for the public charging sector in general? Um, there's, a, there's a few challenges with regards to, you know, being in the right place, um, having the right customers. Education of customers, I think, is a big thing so that they know what they're yep. doing when they get there. Uh, you're quite familiar with the charger next to your house, but when you go somewhere different, what do you need to do? Uh, and more relevant for Europe is, I guess, going across borders. Uh, are you going to need something different? How do you deal with billing, etc.? Because uh, if you have access to Ionity, as an example, great. You know, you know what you're getting when you get to an Ionity station. But if you are a roaming solution uh, and you go from Norway to Sweden to Denmark to Germany, uh, what do you do there? Uh, so there's a few different things uh, that could be big yeah. challenges, but I think public charging is quite important, if not one of the biggest growth areas with the second wave of EV drivers. Yeah, but uh, a lot to get right and um, having, I, Ole, I love your laser-like focus on the customer experience because that's all too often lacking in the the energy and automotive sector, I think. So, um, yeah, best of luck in the future as you you grow and expand into other countries. Um, thanks very much for sharing your time and your perspectives, Ole. Really appreciate that. Well, thanks for having me on, and uh, it will be interesting to see where we actually end up in 2030. You'll have to reinvite me in 2030. I'll, to see what I'll happens. do that. I'll, I'll add you to the list. Uh, Abhishek, thanks again for your time and expertise. All right. And thanks as thanks always. To, thanks, Abhishek. Thanks to all our listeners. I uh, look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of Talking New Energy next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Mm-hmm.